I want to draw a couple of diagrams. Thanks for putting the lights on. It was very dark before, but uh, um, yeah, because I like drawing on the blackboard, as I said this morning, I want to draw two diagrams to see if we can uh, follow through. Very dark. Darker. You reckon black? Uh, it might be black. Blue is pretty good. Blue, black, blue, black. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about the guys right at the back. Okay. That's a start, and that's the finish. But uh, this is what I'm going to put. Is it's a timeline. Uh, and the start. We'll put a little C down here. Actually, I'll have to write it this direction. We'll put a CR. Yeah, for creation. So at one point in time, time began. And at another point in time up here, time is going to end. And, and if you're really theological, they'll call that the consummation. It doesn't mean that, um, well, it does mean everything's going to be consumed or eaten up. But basically, somehow, at the beginning of time, God created out of nothing, uh, the Bible says, a starting point of creation and theologians have argued for years about what that looks like and how creation happened and, and what was the schedule or the timeline but the reality is there was creation the end of time theologians are still arguing about what that's going to look like how God's going to wrap everything up but somewhere in between there we're on a timeline that's going this direction from creation to consummation at a point in time because right here near the beginning of time where we were in relationship with God, we had the fall where the relationship with God was broken. So from this period here, from the fall forward, man was out of relationship with God. There was opportunities in that period of time where God broke down and the prophets and the, and the Spirit came and made change on earth. But there was a point in history where that relationship was changed again. We'll put a cross there. And that was the coming of Christ because at that point there, something was restored because God chose to enter into his creation. And straight after Christ had been here, I don't know if I can draw this picture. Does that look like uh, a dove? Sort of. <laughs> Looks like a demonic symbol, actually. but it's a <laughs> Dinosaur, okay, well, there, we, there we are. And there's a, there's a tail. There we go, okay. Okay, well, anyway, there was a dove. Coming up. The, the spirit entered. So at that point in time, between creation and consummation, something happened that allowed us to restore our relationship back to what we were with Christ. But unfortunately, this temporal thing continued. So theologians call that, that we are living in this point somewhere, the now and the not yet. So we are living in the now, and there's an opportunity because of cross, the Christ, and all the Spirit coming, that we're in the now and the not yet. So we're in a position very different to prior to Christ, that we're living in that transition period, heading towards consummation, when all of this will finish up and we'll move on, and whatever that looks like, God's got that under control as well. That's one diagram. Let me draw you another diagram. We'll keep that one up at the side, because what I really wanted to share tonight and then unpack a little bit through Scripture is um, the whole phrase... In Christ. Now, when we look at the way we exist in this experience, we tend to work on something down here, and there's three ways that we can actually experience life our past, our present, 
and our future. Whoops, let me do that again. So past, present, future. So when we are looking at um, our own lives and at lives of other people around us, we tend to examine ourselves on a temporal, this is what I was, this is who they were, this is what I am. And the interesting thing about the present, that existence is only momentarily, because suddenly that'll be in the past. What I just said is now past. Uh, so present is instantaneous, but then what is going to happen in the future? So we think, this is who I was, this is who I was, this is who I am, this is who I will be, and we exist in those areas. But above the past, the present and the future is a difference. So if we think of this in time, the reality is that because of this, we now have the opportunity to exist on a whole different level. And that level is in Christ. And the amazing thing about being in Christ is that he is outside of this time or temporal reality in eternity. So in Christ actually relates to all of these parts of us. And it makes a huge difference when we come to see people in that way. And to help unpack that, I've just got a little passage. I've just given you a whole uh, series of scriptures because the phrase in Christ is the most common phrase that Paul writes in all of his writings. So just to help us see what that really looks like, I have printed out for you, and I'll have to find my glasses because it's too small, there are a number of different scriptures, all that have that phrase in it. And as I was just telling you that before, oh, there you are, we're back online. As you get those scriptures, I'm going to read a few of them out to you and I want you to think in terms of past, present and future for all these, these are just, I just picked out 15 phrases uh, straight off scripture and I want you to think about what does that mean being in Christ, is this phrase talking about something that's in the past, something that's right now in the, f in the present or something that's in the future. So the first one there, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What's that talking about? The past, the present, or the future? You can call it out. It's the past, and perhaps a bit of present in there as well. What about the next one? Therefore, there is now, there's a hint, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's right there, it's happening now and to the future. Okay, or the next one, for the law of the, uh, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Has passed, it's happened, okay, but we are set free. So in Christ, my past has been impacted. It is a bit of future, it does run into the future too. Jump down a couple. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be or will be made alive. It's future, it's still to happen there, but in a way it's happening as we are made alive. But therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone and the new is here. 
it's present, it's past, and it's also future. Okay, so we get all three in that verse. So are you getting the picture of what I'm saying, that the way that Paul understood what it meant to be in Christ runs right across? There's one more down the very back, the bottom, uh, Ephesians 2. For we are uh, God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so no one could boast. That's right, yes, that's right. That's, that's the one before. That's right, number nine. But basically, that's the present, but it's also the future uh, for that verse there. So we've got an overlap. So I hope that's reinforced what I was saying about being in Christ taken outside of it because what I want to really highlight tonight is that we must live our lives not from the past, the present, or the future reality, but we must see that in Christ is the eternal perspective that everything else relates to or comes back from. So we are in Christ uh, in our past, in Christ in our future, and in Christ uh, in our present. It also sort of changes the way you can look at things if, if you perhaps think about, this might be a bit controversial, but if we actually see that all of creation is now in Christ, it actually changes the way that we look at people who are in the old term, saved or not saved. Uh, because I like the question, are we saved because we believe, which is the evangelical word of the way that you've bec become, you know, I moved from being a sinner to being saved, or are we uh, <laughs> um, believing now that we are saved? So it's a reality and we now believe it. If we look at it from being in Christ, it's a whole different way of seeing things. And so it actually means instead of people being outside of Christ, coming to a point and stepping into Christ. Jesus actually saved the whole world, but some of the people in the world haven't recognized where they are standing, and they might ultimately, I'm not saying they don't have to make a decision or that everybody will be saved, because that's stepping right over to where a universalist position. But overall, I think there's a lot more scripture to say that we are actually in Christ and come to an understanding and a recognition of what Christ has done for us. So we are actually, we're not saved because we believe, but we believe because we are saved. I can see a few people going around in circles. I'm happy to talk some more about that, but it, it does twist your mind a bit, but it also gives you a whole different understanding of God. Because in the way that the church has often understood God, and someone was just talking to me at dinner, uh, they were very badly wounded by their experience of church where God was an incredibly judgmental and wrathful God and if they stepped outside and behaved in the wrong way, they were sinners damned to hell. But if we see God as actually loving and saving everybody, it's not a choice of God sending us to hell, it's a choice of us stepping outside from under the cover that he's provided. So God actually doesn't condemn anybody to hell he allows people, because he loves us and he gives us free will, to make that choice ourselves, to step out of being in Christ that he's actually given to all of us. And it changes the way you look, but it also frees things up because it really changes the way that we actually understand or believe in God. What I was saying all of that for gives us back to what Kath and I are sharing, which really is um, the heart ministry and the heart journey because within each one of us, there are parts, although the overall position, and some people call this, I know you've had Phil and Maria here, the, the Heart Rev team, and, and Phil's written a number of books, but he has that term, the new creation reality. So the new creation is we are in Christ, 
and out of that position everything else flows and that's how you have to start from positionally that's where we are we are in Christ but parts of our heart struggle to believe that or have never known how to believe that so they in a way are living as though they're not in Christ and the process of the heart journey is to understand what those parts are and allow the Lord to actually bring a healing and a freedom to us is that making sense As we come to look at what that might look like, what I've asked Kath to share tonight is a, um, it's, another, it's another sort of way of experiencing God or understanding what God does or doesn't do for us. A- and that's using some of the Hebrew or the biblical names of God. Hey, do you want to do that sheet? I've got another thing to hand out. So this is a list of different uh, names, and again, I just pinched them all out of Scripture. I just picked them all up to uh, illustrate. Just crossing off the consummation. It's finished. And the top one there that Kat's got, relating to um, Jehovah, I just wrote a little summary there. This is about the only Hebrew that I know, but it's the most uh, important Hebrew name to know. Yahweh, so remember they write backwards in Hebrew, Yod, Hay, Vav, and then Hay, cross out a bit of eternity as well, Yod, Hay, Vav, Hay, but when the Hebrews had those four letters, they actually call, I think I put it at the top there, the Tetragrammaton, which just means four letters, but that was a word that they would not pronounce or speak because the letters are Y-H-W-H. Remember, they go in that direction when they write, so we would write them the other way around and you can start to see what the word's going to be. And they put some, because in Hebrew there's no uh, vowels, but we put a little A in here and an E in here when we say Yahweh. Or if we were going to say it another way, sometimes they have a J and an H, and that becomes a V and an H. So they w- we would put an E, an O, and an A in there, and say Jehovah, but it's the same four letters. But as we look at the names of God, and as I said, I've just picked this list out, I want Kath to read out, because this might highlight to you some of the ways that you haven't actually seen or experienced God. We sang a great song tonight about Jesus being worthy of his name and uh, I, noticed, I noticed a whole lot of, um, I guess, ver- um, adjectives about who he is, our helper, saviour, uh, refuge, hiding place. Um, and um, what I've found about him in my journey as I've um, learnt to start walking with him, like really walking with him, not just knowing about him but interfacing with him in my daily life, is that his names, um, all the different names for him are a description of who he is. Your name is who you are. It's how you are. It's your character. It's, it's what you carry. And so each of your names is significant. 
um, it's worth exploring that, what your name means, because your name is linked to your destiny. Now, your parents might have called your name, but God knew who you are. And he knows you by name. He's called you by name. So my name means um, Catherine Anne. And um, Catherine generally means pure. And Anne is grace. Now, <laughs> I um, was not in my earlier years a person who carried pure grace. <laughs> I was very legalistic, judgmental, um, black and white, I di just didn't have any grace. I was going to change the world and I was going to do it, you know, by not in a graceful way. I, God has had to do a lot of chipping back and pruning that. And so I just never felt like I ever fitted into my name. But God knew who I was. And as he's done that work over the years, I'm seeing a little bit more of who I really am in him and um, just able to extend his grace to people. Um, so whatever your name is, is a part of who you are. So when we look at God, um, we're looking at his name. So on that list, like he is our provider. He gives us provision. He, um, he gives us presence and guidance. He delivers us. He's our shelter and our protection. He's our righteousness. We are righteous because he has become our righteousness. His blood has covered us. He's our holiness. He sanctifies us. He's our peace. He's our power, the Lord of hosts. He is our power. He's faithful to us. He's a God of truth. He is our truth. He's all-sufficient. I'm just going through some of these. He's a God who sees me. Yeah, he sees you. He knows you. He's your shepherd. He's your strength. Um, he's gracious. And then... I love this one. He's the God of patience and consolation. He consoles us. He's a God of compassion. He's merciful. And he's jealous over us. He wants the whole of us. He loves us so much. And he's our healer. And he's also, I don't think it's on this list, he's also the God of comfort. And that's a big one for me because in my journey, there was a time where I couldn't get comfort and I went to food and other false refuges and addictions to get comfort because I couldn't get to God. And apart, So this is just one, one aspect of God that I got to know, but it took me a couple of years of just doing this work with him. And I said, I don't know you as my comfort and I can't get comfort from you. So automatically, as soon as I hit pain, I'd run to food or I'd run to shopping or whatever else um, that I would go to ministry. You know, I'd just run to work. Um, because it was too painful to stop in the pain and listen to the pain and process the pain. So I'd get dizzy. Um, and so I'd s I said to God, look, I need to go to you. All these other things are idols because I'm going to them to get what I need from you. And I need to get to you in that pain and receive your comfort, but I don't know you as your comforter. Now, as a child, long story, I couldn't receive comfort from my parents. So I didn't know how to be comforted. And this is an inner healing thing where my um, God had to heal me because that wasn't built into me as a natural thing as a child and I projected it onto God. And so when I hit pain, I began to realise, oh my goodness, I now need to stop, look at that pain and um, I couldn't do it properly until I learned to say, Holy Spirit, you are my comforter, come, 
and just comfort me and invite him into that place. And as soon as I started doing that, give it 30 seconds, something would start washing over me and I'd just go into peace. Every, t- every single time I said to him, I need your comfort and actually thought about it consciously and chose to do it, he would come and then I would feel him holding me and then I could look at the pain and I could say, this hurts, this really hurts and let him minister to me and I'd start looking at what had happened and start forgiving and start working through the anger, processing it with him there, comforting me. And I often used to say to him in different things I was working through, Lord, how do you see what happened to me? And he would go, I was really mad. (laughs) And I'd go, really? (laughs) He'd go, "Mm mm-hmm. That should never have happened to you, you know. And he would just minister to me. And then I was able to go, oh, I was seen. You know, he understood. He was, and he was there because it was a past thing, but he was there. He had, he had been there in my past and he knew that thing. Um, and although I was in the present, he, had, he was there going back to that thing. So that was just one example of how I learned to go to him for comfort. So I now know him as my comforter. So anytime I hit pain, oh, <laughs> I'm there. It's automatic now because I've done that work. I know him as my provider. I know him as my protector. And there's things here that I'm still working on. Um, so in different aspects of who he is, where you, if you look at this list and you go, I don't really know him as my peace. I can't get to peace with him. You know, I, I don't feel at peace with him or, or I don't experience peace or whatever it is you need. Start looking at that and saying, let's work on this because I want to know you this way for me because who he is, is all sufficient for what you need. And this makes him accessible. It breaks it down and it makes it doable because we think of God and being close to God and it's like, define that for me. Um, But when you put this into relational terms, you know, you can say, I want to know you as my strength. I'm really weak. I feel really weak. I feel really vulnerable. I feel really scared. I need someone strong standing behind me who's got my back. I need your strength and, and ask him for it and he starts to come and then you experience it, it builds trust for the next time you know it and it builds on that. Does that make sense? Yeah, so. Yeah, so the reason we gave you probably both of those lists, the, the in Christ scriptures but also those names of God, to use as a reflection uh, with yourself maybe with someone else before the Lord and just say what areas as I read those lists uh, like Kath was saying have I struggled to find comfort or protection or have I stepped in instead how you doing okay one thing I just wanted to share which is sort of flowing out of this but it sort of goes back to right back here where things went wrong uh, in the garden the fall because uh, in scripture it talks about there being two trees in the garden there's a tree of life and there was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And before the fall, this is a crucial point, there was no judgment because uh, Adam and Eve trusted God and they trusted him for three significant things. I keep losing my pen. We're going to go back to Rich. On the stage, thank you. I'm glad someone's got stronger eyes. They trusted God for provision They trusted God for protection. 
and they trusted God for power. And before the fall, because they had no knowledge of good and evil, they hadn't actually eaten or taken from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, there was no need for them to judge good from evil because the word knowledge, we sort of think about uh, in, in the pattern of, well, they did something wrong, so they had never done wrong before, then they did something wrong, so that was good and evil. But actually, the term knowledge of good and evil could be translated the judgment or the perception of good and evil because before the fall God was the one who decided or needed they didn't need to decide between good and evil that humanity had no need but the temptation that Satan put before Eve and Adam uh, and the choice they made was to step out from saying God you can tell me judge between good and evil I'll actually step over here and uh, uh, and take over from you and I will take on that role of knowledge or judgment of what is good and what is evil. So before, there was no need. They didn't need to judge because God actually had their backs. <laughs> but he gave them the opportunity to actually step, because of free will, out of that protection. So after the fall, when they'd eaten from the tree, um, their eyes were opened and suddenly entered evil fear. And then they are immediately tempted because they'd taken that choice to use their own wisdom to judge, to choose what is right and wrong because they said, God, we don't need you, we're going to make that choice now. So they have now eaten that knowledge. So some people argue what the, 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 the garden looked like and was there really a tree there. Ultimately, it doesn't matter because the consequence of them choosing to eat that fruit, whether it was an apple or whatever the fruit was they ate, was that they stepped out from under the protection, but also under the relationship with God. So here we are at the very beginning, from the fall, that relationship severed, and it was another many thousand years up till Christ that that, uh, that that actually began to be restored and was turned around. At that time, Adam and Eve began judging themselves. So the first thing they did was hide from one another and hide from God. And uh, in Elijah House, we often use the term shame, where they suddenly looked at themselves and said, I am wrong. And so they started hiding from each other and hiding within themselves. They also judged one another by shifting the blame because the first thing Eve said uh, was, uh, Adam said was it was Eve tempted me and then Eve said it was the snake that tempted, uh, tempted me and, and, and they lost that responsibility. So judgment of others, but also they began to judge God. And so everybody since Adam and Eve in the time of the fall has actually looked to, uh, to God in ways that are not true. It's not really his nature, but they see him as unloving or distant or not caring. And so those characters of God on that form, which is the true nature of God in different parts of our lives, we just don't believe God is like that. We judge that he is not, he's not protecting us or he's not caring for us or he's not providing for us. So basically, after the fall, Adam and Eve, <laughs> they didn't need this before the fall because God provided, protected and gave all power. So Adam and Eve began to find ways themselves of protecting, uh, providing, and power. Interestingly, when Christ came, so all this time here, humanity is finding ways to provide, protect, and find power. When Christ came, one of the first things that is recorded of his, in his adult life uh, was the temptation 
were actually, he was led out into the desert, so actually God led him out into the desert, the Spirit thrust him out to the desert, and Satan came and tempted him, and if you remember those verses, they're in a couple of the different Gospels, but uh, there was three temptations, and surprise, surprise, um, the first temptation, you can turn, you're hungry, you haven't eaten for 40 days, why don't you make the rocks into bread, provide for yourself, uh, the second one was, um, uh, if you really are the Son of God, you could actually uh, go up to the top of this temple and throw yourself to the ground and, and God knows because you're the Son of God, you'll be protected. The third temptation uh, was uh, Satan showed him all the, uh, the uh, uh, beauty of the world. You can rule all of the world. You can have all this power if you bow down and worship me. So he tempted him in those three ways. In each of those, he resisted the temptation by quoting scripture, if you look at it, he quoted words uh, back to Satan about it. But Adam and Eve were seduced and deceived to take power, to step over, uh, eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, to, to take on judgment for themselves. The second Adam, because Jesus is often called the second Adam, resisted that temptation and he chose to trust that God would deliver him uh, ultimately. So then we come to this part of the story which has been rubbed out by Jehovah because this is where we're living. Past the cross with the Spirit but in the now and the not yet part of uh, the, the timeline or the time of story because the question I suppose we want to give you tonight is which ways have you looked for provision, uh, protection and power? So one more handout, and I want to leave this one with you so that you can actually reflect on it. Thanks. Um, one of the things that hit me with this when God was showing me this, because I had a prophetic word over, spoken over us before we were married, and um, uh, it was a promise of provision and protection. So this thing's all my life I've been going... I need power. Like, you know, God, it's great that you're providing and you're protecting, and I've known that from him. But in the last couple of years, you th I can't do anything without your power. So the power thing's been one I've been working on. But um, what Jesus was tempted to do by the enemy was to take provision, protection, and power for himself to shortcut the cross. If he had done that and failed and not passed those tests in the wilderness... If Satan could have got him to bypass the cross, we wouldn't be where we are today. And so every single time the enemy gets you, tempts you to provide for yourself your needs, to protect yourself, guard your heart, or as in bow up and, and stay safe and strong by yourself in your own strength, to get power instead of trusting God to go ahead and do it in your own strength. Every time he gets you to do that, you are stepping outside of Christ or that part of your heart is not in Christ, as in not held by him and his provision, protection and power. And he wants you to stay there, stay in that place where it's tough, like Jesus did, and wait for God to come and deliver you. And he will. He will. So let's follow that through and I've, I've given a bit more of the, the background there but I've also left some gaps so that as we reflect on this, looking in our own life and I repeat again what Amy said this morning uh, and, and Kath uh, that this community is a safe community and it's also a, an incredibly <laughs> well-resourced community 
for others who will take you this journey with you. So if things are triggering or you're thinking back, yeah, maybe there is something where I'm struggling to trust God or an area where I'm looking to find power myself or protection, um, you're in a community that can journey that with you and before the Lord, it can be dealt with. As Kath said, that's been where we're at and, and what we're doing personally in our own journey. So let's start with the first line about uh, pr uh, provision. So what ways have you sought to draw, I left the word out there because it actually was the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or human wisdom for provision. From wounding such as neglect, trauma, abuse, unmet needs, we talked about that this morning, where we are not grounded in love but in fear, we are tempted to get legitimate needs and, and Brad said that this morning, it's legitimate, we are made needy but it's legitimate to have needs but we're tempted to meet them in illegitimate ways. So we're tempted to seek pleasure to cover the pain. The fruit of looking for our own provision for needs uh, is things such as addictions um, or what Elijah House called false refuges. We were listening to a teaching just um, uh, a week or two ago. So that's where I got that word beeps. It wasn't a Christian teaching. It was a psychology uh, just on the internet I heard them say and they used the expression beeps. Uh, they weren't talking about uh, fruits of addiction, but they said the things that people turn to are usually behaviours, experiences, events, people or substances. So that's a good uh, ac acronym to remember. Behaviour, experiences, events, people or substances to provide for the pain, uh, to meet the needs that are really uh, tugging them. The second P was protection. When wounded, hurt trust is broken and from the pain of never ever wanting to be hurt or let down um, or betrayed again, we choose to protect our hearts by determinations, uh, in Elijah House they call them vows, to look after ourselves. Again, back to human wisdom, we're taking the choice to judge, discern ourselves outside of God, apart from God. So the fruit we talk about would be vows or structures we build, and I've just left some space there because the way that you can often identify a vow in your life, a structure you've made, a determination in your own self to actually protect yourself is a phrase or a thought or a determination, I will never, fill in the blank, or I will always, and I had a few examples, <laughs> um, I will always be strong, uh, I will not show emotion, even though I'm quite an emotional person, it was safer for me not to show emotion. I will not let anyone close. And I thought I was letting someone close because I got married to her. Um, but part of the ministry I've had this year, I told you this morning I was a carrot. Um, that was the beginning of the year. At the last ministry session that I had, um, before we went into the ministry, um, I'd asked Kath, I'd said to her the night before, I said, look, We've got this two or three hours with this woman on Skype from America. You know, what, what should I deal with? What's really presenting at the moment? And she looked at me and she said, oh, you never turn up. And I said, that's not true. We've been married for nearly 26 years, because this is only a couple of months ago, mind you. And I've been a faithful husband. I'm always there. I'm, um, I've been around for the kids. Uh, you've got everything you've needed provided. And God has been very good to us in our marriage and, in, and we've had. But then she's telling me I'm not turning up. I thought, oh, well, that's what I'll go into the ministry session for. So uh, I went in and I, um, 
we've got the lady, the way that they often work, and it was interesting, Brad was sharing his experience with Sarah, uh, the same lady, uh, on his Skype ministry recently, where she'll often just sit before the Lord in prayer, and she'll say, look, is God saying anything to you? She'll speak a few things, you'll tell some of the presenting fruit, and then you listen to see what God says back either to her or often into your own heart. So she'll say, listen to your heart, don't work it out in your head, um, listen to your heart. And at the session earlier in the year, Kath was taking notes, but she wasn't there on this session. So it was just me on the Skype call with this woman. And I closed my eyes and remember she'd done ministry with me about three months earlier where I was a carrot in the soup uh, and I didn't have an identity outside of the soup because uh, that was my family was the big bowl of soup. I closed my eyes and all I saw with my eyes closed was a turnip, uh, like a, a vegetable turnip, you know, with uh, something under the ground. So there's the ground, there's the turnip, and there's, there's the top of the turnip, and the ground sitting here. And I said to her, well, I didn't get a word that I think, all I saw was a picture of a turnip. And then it came to me that she'd been telling me I never turn up, uh, and, uh, and I, saw a, I saw a turnip. And I think, oh, well, it's just it's, it's a play on words. And I said to her, oh, I, I, I just, it was, must have been going around in my head, what's that mean? Why have I seen a turnip? And she struggled a bit to pray into that. And so we sat there for another five minutes, and then it suddenly came to me, and fortunately it came to her too. She affirmed what I saw, is that I was a turnip. I would actually was there, but all that Catherine could see of this turnip, which wasn't really turning up, was above the ground. And I was giving her what I thought she needed in provision and presence and just being an all-round nice guy uh, <laughs> very likable because uh, I liked me but uh, but the bulk of me and the true and this is the word that uh, Sarah used to me the essence of the turnip isn't what you see above the ground the essence of the turnip which is always there uh, but it was buried and so my um, structure had kept myself buried because I was much more comfortable with what I could produce above the surface and what people could see and what I was happy with people seeing. So part of my journey ongoing um, in the last three months has been learning to turn up. Now that's been an interesting journey for my wife because she wants to get a pitchfork and turn up, <laughs> uh, turn things up fairly quickly whereas I'm seeing it more with a gentle washing away of the soil <laughs> uh, to reveal a turnip that's always down there. Uh, so we're, we're, we're in process of me turning up but interestingly, what often happens as protection with the boughs that we build, the structures around ourselves, is a term called spiritual captivity, where there is a lack of intimacy in relationships, Exhibit A. Um, I was corporate, but sometimes people are not corporate. They become individualistic or they separate and disconnect in relationships. So that's my ongoing journey. And then the third P is power. As a result of wounding, we might feel powerless or helpless, unloved or out of control. So we're tempted by Satan to take control in order to protect and provide for ourselves uh, and for others. Uh, we live by the flesh instead of by the spirit. We live according to what we want to determine our vows to get needs met instead of trusting in God. And there's two ways that we might be tempted uh, to judge situations or we're tempted to judge situations and people for ourselves in our own wisdom to either keep ourselves safe 
And in Elijah House, we use the term parental inversion, and I'll just unpack that, because in parental inversion, a child that is not known, they're not feeling protected or provided for and feels powerless to get their needs met, can't trust those in authority to protect and provide for them because it hasn't been safe. So they choose and the determination they make is to um, step in and take control. And they say then they have to actually um, take over to keep things safe. So they invert, the parental inversion term comes, they actually take on a role almost as a parent. And it happens sometimes with the oldest child in the family. Kath was an elder child and she did that. That you step in and take over because you can't trust other people to get it right. Um, so by human wisdom, we take control, we take power to keep things safe. The other side of that, and sometimes you can have both, is what we call performance orientation. And that's where we choose in our own wisdom to take control, to take power ourselves, to be loved. So a child that didn't know they were loved, and we talked a little bit about that this morning with those uh, unmet needs list that we've been reflecting on, and is not secure, is tempted to perform in order to be loved. So they take control themselves, not because things aren't safe, but they choose, they want to be loved, they want to be able to be loved and feel. So they're tempted by their human wisdom to believe, if I do this, you'll give me love and acceptance that I long for. Uh, and I really will. This kind of love is defiling of the person who does it, but it also defiles the other person because they, they are always trying to draw from other people. Am I all right? Am I all right? Will you love me? I'm, can't you see what I'm doing? Can't you see how I am behaving? They're really drawing the power f for to be loved because they feel so unloved or unlovable because they really believe, if I'm really good, I will be loved. Does that make sense? The challenge for us individually and the challenge for us communally, because this happens in relationship, is that all of us are sitting somewhere, <laughs> because we're all sitting here um, on, the, on the diagram, that there'll be ways that we've sought to provide, sought to protect, or sought to gain power in our lives. And in ministering to you and in speaking to you tonight, we really want to encourage you to be open <laughs> with yourself, with God, but also open with other people to ask um, how you're seen. And that's been one of the things I've found the hardest to do as an all-round nice guy. And, and to go to someone and say, how do you perceive me? What do you see in me? How am I living this out? How is this impacting you, my behaviour? And um, I found that very scary and I still do a bit. Uh, a lot. <laughs> but if you're in a safe community and you guys are a safe community, God will actually honour that step that you take and, uh, and will actually uh, bring that journey forward. Are you in the same place? I just want to say, I do really believe he's very like Jesus. I've lived with him for 26 years and he is an amazing human being. Um, he is, you are absolutely gold. But what um, has frustrated me as I've walked along with him, because I, I was so messed up and lost myself and caught up in my own chaos when God started healing that and I started coming out of that ether, I started looking around and I'm going, ah, oh, there's Simon. <laughs> 
And I thought, wow, where is he? Who is he? Yeah. And all of a sudden now I'm connected to me and we're one flesh. And I'm like, he's not, he's not there. He is not there. I see all this performance and I appreciate all that, but where is he? And because I was connected to myself again finally, I'm like, man. So that's only been the last three years. And I'm like, all of a sudden, where are you? Who are you? How do you feel? What do you think about this? And he couldn't answer me. And that was his wounding because he didn't have that as a child. He, didn't, he was missed. And so he didn't have people telling him who he was and his worth and value and what he carried. And, um, and I, my journey has been to say, who is he, Lord? Who is this beautiful man you've given me as a partner? And what is in him? And what have I got to call out and bless him? And, and for Simon in community, having people around him also feeding into that. So, like, God knows him, and, and it's our job to get to know him and to bless that. And that's for all of us. But what happens when you're wounded as a child where you, you are tempted to perform and dance for people? You get missed, and you don't even know who you are. And so you've got to say, well, Lord, who am I? What do I like? What don't I like? What have you, you know, who am I? And, and some of us know ourselves better than other people. It just depends on the wounding that happened. So it's all there. And he's, he, you know, yeah, it is. <laughs> the substance and the essence is there. Um, it's putting meat on it, if you know what I mean. So this is, this is where we need each other um, to say, I see you. This is who you are. And this is part of the healing. Excellent. So we are all on process. That was really all I wanted to share, we wanted to share tonight, but I would encourage you to take those three bits of paper. Um, not to just put them somewhere uh, and not see them again, but over this retreat, spend a bit of time and discover who you are in Christ. Again, if you haven't seen it, see that that really does cover everything from the past and if you've got issues that go back to the past, as we all do, Jesus hasn't forgotten that or neglected that. In Christ, we're covered. If there's other things to do with not trusting, not being able to trust his provision or his, who his character is for you in those areas, speak to him about that. Or if there's areas where these PPPs have, you've stepped in, the tree of knowledge of good and evil which has been eaten from, how is that actually growing? How is that expressing or fruiting in my life?